0: Well, whether you're in the room or listening online later, um, this is a really special day in the history of our church. But it may not be for the reason that you most expect. Now, there's no doubt that today one of the things that we're celebrating is the completion and the grand opening of a new building, a new place to do gospel ministry. And yet, here's the reality, that this building was never meant to be the final destination. This building was never meant to be the finish line or the the final goal. In fact, many of you who attend regularly have heard me say this, that if it was just about the people who already attended North Cross, We could have saved ourselves the problem and the trouble and all the work and just stayed on our property across from Cub and Lakeville and stayed in that building and it would have been tight, but we would have made it work, right? But the reason why we planned and the reason why we searched for a property and the reason why so many of you gave and gave sacrificially and the reason why we worked so hard was because we love the communities and the people in which we live and the people that we interact with. And we firmly believe, we are passionate that the people that we know and the communities that we live in needed a church, a place like North Cross. And so if you're new here, if you're a guest, Although you were never at a building meeting, although maybe you never gave to the the building of this building, I want you to know that you are who we're celebrating today. That you who are guests here are the reason why we are celebrating today. And I just believe that when you celebrate something, you need to make a little bit of noise. So our regular attenders of North Cross... Let's welcome those who are guests here today, because this is why we're here, and we're excited that you're here. As I was trying to think about how to best describe this church, there was a lot of descriptors and a lot of adjectives I could use. In fact, I could fill up a whole page I did with adjectives that I'd like to to think would describe who we are but I I felt like I could try to boil it all down to one thing. And if there was just one word that, you know, is nuanced enough to describe who I hope and pray that we are for all of us and for those who have yet to attend here, that, that one word, you've seen it already. That word is home. Now, I realize that in a room this large, For some of you, when you hear that word, it doesn't bring up great images or great feelings. Some of us had a very difficult home life growing up. And some of us married into a home life that isn't healthy or maybe for some of us even dangerous. So I I understand that, that home can have some baggage. But when home is done right, when home is what it was meant to be, Truly, there is no better place on earth than being home. It makes me think about being in college, and oftentimes in the evenings, I would go for a jog through the neighborhoods that were near campus. And I remember one time running in the evening, and as I was running, I could see through someone's window, their front window, and see kind of what was going on in their house. And, you know, as I verbalized that this morning, I realized that it sounds a little weird. Um, So I wasn't, like, getting in their yard and, like, standing there looking into their window. That wasn't what I was doing. But stick with me. It was dark outside. There was lights on in the house, okay? So you're running by, and you can kind of see what's going on. And I still remember vividly running by one house, and the dad was in the house, he was in sweatpants and slippers, and he was laid back in a Lazy Boy recliner, and he had a drink in hand, non-alcoholic, I'm sure, and um, he was watching a football game on TV, and there was a fire in the fireplace, and his kids were on his couch, I mean, it sounds idyllic, his kids were on his couch next to him, and they were laughing, and it it was just awesome, and in that moment, I was so jealous. Do you know where I was running to? My dorm room that was dark and dingy, and you know what it smelled like? Like 300 college guys, because that's who lived there in that dormitory. And the floor was tile, and the walls were cinder block, and I had no couch, and I had no lazy boy, and I had no fireplace, and if I wanted an evening snack, it was ramen noodles or microwave popcorn. And I had a TV, but it was like this size, And it was a box because there wasn't flat screens in the late 90s, okay? And I had to navigate continually my roommate's choice in music, which was Garth Brooks all the time. (laughs) And when he was sick of Garth Brooks, he played more Garth Brooks, all right? You see, when home is done right, there's no better place to be. And that kind of leads to my first fill-in for today that is probably true of your home, um, but I also want to apply it to our church. You can see it on the screen, but it's also on a, uh, a wall hanging that my wife didn't know when, that I took it this morning, so um, sorry, Carrie, you probably had a surprise when you got up this morning. Um, but it's, it's so good So good to be home. Now, that's the type of comfort. That's the type of encouragement. That's the type of love that I truly believe epitomizes who North Cross is and should be what church is all about. And here's what I'll say. Our world and our country needs that now more than ever. That in many ways, for whatever reason, The Christian church at large has become categorized more by many as being what it's against and who it's against and judgmental about certain things. And let's make no mistake, there is timeless truth. There is no doubt about that. There is truth. God has truth. And yet, the response of the church sometimes has been to build walls higher, to separate themselves from culture, and to protect ourselves in our little enclave or whatever you want to call it. And what God has called us to do is not to separate from culture, but he has called us to tear down walls and to go into culture and to share what we have with others because there is room for more, and that what we have, a home, is something that we all need. And honestly, that feeling of home has way more, less to do with how a place is designed or what type of furniture there is in it. You know, the truth of the matter is that home really isn't about a location, really. I mean, if, if I'd go back to the house I grew up in in Beaver Dam, where my parent Wisconsin, where my parents don't live anymore, and I, I would just kind of walk in the front door because it's home, like, that would be weird again, right? Yeah. Because it's not about the location, even though that's where I grew up. Home has less to do with the location, and it has more to do with relationship, doesn't it? And here, there is amazing relationships that have been formed, and that are available for you if you need relationship with other Christians and with other people who will give you truth and encouragement and hope and who love you. But even more than that, even more than the relationship between each other, as important as that is, the baseline of what makes this a home is a relationship that we have with God. And that's at the crux of the story that we're gonna look at this morning that Jesus shared and told. It's one of, if not the greatest or most well-known story that he ever told. It's in Luke chapter 15. It's going to really set the stage for what's at the heart of this church. It goes like this. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So, The dad divided his property between them. Now, what's going on here? Well, this was more than just the younger son asking for 10 bucks or even $100. This was more than just the son asking for money. With this son asking for his inheritance, essentially what he was saying is this. Dad, I know when you die, I'm going to get a bunch of your stuff. You're looking pretty healthy right now. It might be a while before you die, so why don't you just give me your stuff right now? It was more than asking for money. It was a son prioritizing what the dad could give him, the things of this world, more than the relationship that he had with his dad. He wanted his dad's stuff more than he wanted to be with his dad. Now in the story, the dad obliges, gives his younger son half of his stuff. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all now that he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. You can just imagine what that included. Drugs and alcohol and women and parties and, you know, a tricked-out Escalade, I'm sure. Um, or whatever, donkey? I don't know. Um He burned through it, and it was gone. In fact, it gets worse. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs, which, because the Jewish nation viewed pork or pigs as being an unclean animal, an unclean food. This was Jesus' way of saying in the story that he was as low as it gets. He was at the bottom of the barrel at this point. Next verse. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating because he was so hungry, but no one gave him anything. Well, we don't know how long it took, but at a certain point, this son had blown it all and he was at the lowest point of his life. And he came to recognize and understand that there's blessing being connected with dad. That he had been looking for finding purpose and significance and happiness in the things he could get and the things he could buy, but at the end of the day, that all ran out and he did not find what he was looking for. And you see, all these stories that Jesus told, they were meant to have a meaning for the people who are listening. And you're probably already connecting some dots that, you know, God is uh, represented by the Father. And what about about you and I? Do do you relate at all to the Son? Maybe, maybe not, but here's what I'll say. Every single one of us have had a season in our lives where we have had to think about what is important to us. Usually it happens in our late teens, as we go off to college, or early 20s, or mid-20s. For some of us, we're in our 40s and we're still trying to figure it out. Set up an appointment with me later, Um, we'll figure it out. No, I think, honestly, our lives go like this, Right? And we get distracted and we start trying to find, we just finished a series that was all about this, happiness and significance and purpose and things that will never give it to us. And we come to points in our lives where it just feels so empty and so monotonous and so routine. It's another school year, another project at work. What is all this about? Our next fill-in. The life you're looking for, the life the younger son was looking for, is found with the Father, not away from him. Blessing and security and encouragement and love, the things that truly are our greatest emotional and spiritual needs, they all come from connection with the Father, not through the things, worldly speaking, that he gives to us, And this is all of our stories. None are excluded. I I said before that if you're looking for the the church with the perfect people, keep looking. But you're going to look for a while, okay? Because that doesn't exist. You see, here's what Isaiah wrote. He wrote, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. We've all found a little bit of connection with that younger son in big ways and small ways, long season or a short season. Trying to find joy in the things of the world, significance in things that just cannot give it. So what happened? Verse 17. When the younger son came to his senses. Has that ever happened to you? Like, oh man. I'm stupid, can't believe I've been pursuing the wrong thing. For this younger son, this indicates a change of thinking. I In mean, spiritual terms, he's coming to repentance. He's going to change the way he thinks. He's changing his heart. Let's continue. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death, can't even eat what the pigs are eating, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him. So he is going to take a chance. He's going to take a chance and go back to dad, even though he knows what he deserves is nothing anymore from dad. And in fact, he's not taking any chances. He's going to write a speech. And so you can just imagine him, I'm going to say to him, and gets out his piece of... Papyrus? I don't know. Tablet? No. Papyrus, all right. And he starts writing his speech. And it has three parts to his speech. First part, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And when we are in our lowest of low points, this we can call confession. Confession confession of our sin is a really important aspect of making that turn, that change, with God's help. The next part, Father, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You know what he's doing here? He's acknowledging that sometimes my choices have consequences. You know, there are some things that happen in your life that really are just God's plan, and they're not directly related to anything you've done. But there are other things we've done or failed to do that have direct consequences later in life. And what this son is doing is he writes out his speech is, I acknowledge that I've messed things up with dad. That's something I caused. That's something that's my fault. And then the third part, I'm going to ask him to make me like one of his hired servants. I, I don't know that I'll get my room back. I don't know that I'll have the title son anymore. But maybe I could work for him, kind of pay it off a little bit. I have some semblance of a better life. Verse 20. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. It's it's almost as if he was scanning the horizon for his son. He saw him and was filled with. And you know, as, as the people are listening to Jesus tell this story, and this story is filled with extremes. Like, it is extreme for, in that culture especially, for a son to ask for his inheritance, right? That's extreme today, much less back then. The extreme of working in a, in a pig farm, it's filled with extremes. And as people are, are listening to this, they're probably thinking, this is where the son's going to get it, because the father was filled with, with anger, and rightly so frustration, and that's what the son deserved. But that's not where the story went. While he was long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion, with love, with mercy, with forgiveness. And it continues. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. There is not a more dramatic verse in all of the Bible than this part of this story by Jesus. You've got younger son with his speech in his back pocket, walking nervously towards dad, hoping that he can say the right words. And you've got father running to son. Now, dads, What would you run for, okay? Not much, let's put it that way, right? In patriarchal days like this, dads would never run. It was beneath them to run, but not in this moment. He's running to son, filled not with anger, but with compassion. And when he sees his son, he just gives him this huge bear hug. (laughs) Yes. You're home. I missed you. I couldn't wait to see you. And I don't care what you've done. (laughs) I love you so much. I'm so happy to see you. And it's emotional for me. This response is amazing. And the son's like, dude, I got a speech. (laughs) So he tries, verse 21. The son said, father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. That's confession. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm acknowledging. And dad doesn't let him get to repay because the son doesn't need to repay. But something else is coming. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Your speech is over. Bring the best robe. That's my robe, by the way. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Keep going. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And you can just imagine the son in the story standing there thinking, bring what? Kill what? Do what? Do what? This is not how I thought it was going to go. It's absolutely amazing. And the father does what no earthly father would have likely done in that time and in that culture. He forgave and threw a party because his son was back. And he couldn't wait. He was so happy. Do you know what? That story has been my story over the years. Maybe not as dramatic as this younger son, but nonetheless, I have my days and my weeks and my months. And more than likely, this story is your story too. And maybe it's been more than a month, maybe it's been years. But here's what I want you to know because it is a relationship with dad or mom but in this case dad that sets a tone for a place not just being a place but being a home. Number 3. God longs for the sinner to come home. And and I think I need to tell you this that in no way does God not treat our sins as being serious. Like, he's not some, you know, absent-minded grandfather who's just like, oh, okay, whatever. Like, oh, and if you're a grandfather, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, man, I'll be a grandfather someday too. So anyway, but y- you, you've seen them. None of you are them, but you've seen those absent-minded grandfathers that are just like, oh, okay, yeah, uh, whatever. Um, that's not God. He is far from that. He doesn't just ignore, or avoid, or pretend like things don't exist. He's done something about it. You know, a lot of times this story has been called the story of the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son. Do you know what prodigal means? It's come to be known because of this story, actually, which is amazing. It's come to be known in the English language as someone who's kind of wayward. That is not the meaning behind the word. Look it up, online dictionary. The real meaning is excessive or extravagant. And I guess in a way, the son was excessive and extravagant in his spending but I don't think this is the best name for this story because the most excessive and extravagant thing in this story was not the spending of the son. It was what? The love of the father. That more prodigal, more extravagant than the son or excessive was the love of the father. And here's our next villain, God doesn't look, when it comes to our sin, he doesn't look the other way. He has allowed there, there to be, or he has planned there to be another way to the Father and to relationship. You see, right after Jesus told this story, he set his sights onto something else. He started his walk, which took a few weeks, but towards Jerusalem. And what he was doing there was making the reunion that he taught about possible with God. Because when there's sin, there needs to be payment. But the father took the payment out on his son. And while forgiveness and an embrace from the father costs us very little, it costs Jesus everything. My friends, that's what North Cross is all about. There is no hierarchies here or pretense. We are all the same. We all have sin. And the story of the prodigal son or the prodigal father, better said, is your story and it's mine. And when people have experienced the warm embrace of a heavenly father, we can respond to it by, like dad, also looking out at the horizon and looking for other people that need that same embrace from the father, the same message of Jesus who made it possible. Home, it's about relationships. And I I hope and pray that I have an opportunity to continue to grow with you and to help you grow with the Lord in relationship moving forward. It's good to be home.